Raj Kapoor. Mention his name and anyone in India with a passing interest in Bollywood will rattle off at least one movie or song he has featured in. He comes from the illustrious Kapoor family that has been in the filmmaking business for years. His father, Prithviraj Kapoor, was an actor and director. His brothers, Shashi Kapoor and Shami Kapoor, were actors and directors themselves. His sons, Randeer, Rishi and Rajiv Kapoor, are well-known actors. His granddaughters, Karina Kapoor Khan and Karishma Kapoor, are well-known actresses themselves. And his grandson, Ranbir Kapoor, has been stealing many a heart with his acting chops in movies such as Tamasha, Burfi, Rockstar and Rocket Singh. Raj Kapoor's films bubbled over with raw emotion, love and the consequences that arise because of love and emotion. There was always a dash of comedy, tinged with innocence and naivete, thrown in for good measure. Comedy that Kapoor, for all practical purposes, borrowed from Charlie Chaplin. You see that in abundance in films such as Avara, which means vagabond, and Shri 420, which translates to Mr. 420 and is a colloquialism that means fraudster. His was a style that reflected the earthiness and virtues of India to the hilt. Or at least that is what he'd put a spotlight on. Of course, his films, even the romances, had villains too, make no mistake about that. But it wasn't as if they were all beyond repair. And most of his films, save a few, had what I would like to call a story arc that wallowed in distress, but was always close to redemption or a favourable ending in the end. Even if the ending of the film wasn't one that the audiences favoured, Kapoor ensured it was all saddled between a rousing background score and some lilting songs that softened and diluted the dislike audiences left the cinema halls with. Consequently, even if the film didn't quite become a hit, its songs, at least, kept the memory of the film alive. Needless to say then, Raj Kapoor had quite a knack for picking up some of the best musical scores and lyrics for his movies. In 1964, sometime during the production of his movie Sangam, which means confluence, his music directors, Shankar and Jaikishan, together with his lyricist, Hasrat Jaipuri, put together a song called which means, goodness me, I've got myself an old man, or, Lord of mercy, I've got myself an old man. Sangam is all about a love triangle. A love triangle at the heart of which was Radha, played by actress Vijayantimala, who was wooed by both Sundar, played by Raj Kapoor, and Gopal, played by Rajendra Kumar. All three are supposed to be childhood friends. And, as is always the case in such matters when depicted in Bollywood, two fall in love with each other, while one has to play the one-sided lover. Here, in this case, Gopal and Radha are the lovey-dovey couple. 
while Sundar plays the one-sided lover. Now, as luck would have it, or as a scriptwriter would have it, Gopal, who also happens to be an Indian Air Force officer, gets to marry Radha and is also posted to London. This song turns up on screen when the couple goes on a honeymoon to France, Paris specifically. Sundar is getting ready to go attend an event in Paris, and Radha insists that she will go along with him. The event turns out to be a sleazy, sultry cabaret, and the moment that is clear, Sundar makes it amply clear that only decent men and not decent women attend such soirees. Radha surprisingly gets pretty incensed by that and goes ballistic. She berates him for wanting to go there, says he's pretty old school to think that women shouldn't be enjoying a cabaret, and then goes on to declare that if she isn't welcome there, he cannot go there either. Now, there's a whole lot of irony floating around over here. First, Sundar, who considers himself a decent upright man, thinks it's perfectly alright for him to go to a sleaze fest that, by his own admission, is staged by indecent women. Apparently, participating in that doesn't make him indecent at all. But homely, traditional, conservative women, you know, the ones who cook and serve and wash up and treat their husbands like gods, they are not supposed to go anywhere close to such scandalous pieces of pleasure at all. For they, you see, run the risk of being tainted. Then there's Radha herself. Earlier in the film, she meekly subjected herself to the match with Sundar, despite the fact that she was in love, and ardently so, with the other fellow, Gopal. That act was supposed to portray her as one who followed the age-old Indian tradition of doing what one's parents think is best. Which, in turn, implied she wasn't one to question tradition or protocol. And yet, here she was, all riled up and livid, that her husband dare leave her at home for the company of the pleasures of a rather sleazy cabaret. You might think that as the film progresses, she progressively rebels against the system of patriarchy and comes into her own or something of that sort. But no such luck, really. There's just this brief streak of rebellion which she displays oh so brazenly, all to erect an ambience for the song to follow. Clearly, the scriptwriter thought it all rather palatable and normal to just insert a blip in the otherwise conforming style of storytelling, which was quite the norm in the 60s version of Bollywood. No one was complaining, so, well, why bother? Why rock the boat at all? As long as it keeps the cash registers ringing, so be it, really. Anyway, so she takes the invite to the sleazy cabaret with her, walks into the bedroom, looking ever so splendid in her Indian sari, and closes the door. Sundar, not knowing what to do, paces up and down in the living room and then decides to play the man and storm into the bedroom. Which is when he hears this. Not only is Radha playing the bagpipes, she has also shed the reams of cloth she had on her 
for a super tight pair of black figure-hugging slacks made to look a tad decent by a sash that runs around Radha's behind and crotch. And of course, she puts on a show aping bits and pieces of a cabaret. There's a lot of leg kicking and there's a lot of butt wriggling that was precariously sexy enough for the audiences of the 1960s to sit up and take notice. In fact, at the beginning of the dance, there are moments when Radha sticks her butt out and gets her face to make some silly babyish expressions in what seemed to me like an obvious attempt to temper down the sexiness of the butt act. Needless to say, as per the script, Sundar is scandalized and makes it very clear that he's disgusted by her attire and dancing. Radha, rather than backing down, asks him how come he has a nerve to not feel anything wrong about enjoying a cabaret? Sundar then goes on to explain that those women there in that cabaret are supposed to act indecent because being indecent to entertain men is their job. They aren't traditional conservative women, you see. You know, the ones that are wrapped in cloth from head to toe and worship their husbands as gods. Now, of all that Sundar says, Radha chooses to latch on to what he says about the indecent sleazy woman at the cabaret entertaining men. She lungs at him with all the lust she can muster in her eyes and says, Oh, which means, and wives don't have to sexually entertain their husbands? which apparently was enough to shock our man Sundar. She then adds that it's pretty necessary, else the woman stands to lose her man. Sundar, however, doesn't quite agree with her that sexual entertainment is the prerogative of a wife, which is when she says he's pretty old-fashioned and an old man to boot. And that's when the song begins. <laughs> Clearly, in this case, Sundar has compartmentalized women and so slotted them into categories the wife and the entertainer, each serving a purpose. No woman can have the qualities of both, and clearly, Radha seems to be against that sort of segregation. Also very evident is the fact that Sundar sees no harm to his decency in soliciting the services of both. But should the wife so much as want to observe the female sexy entertainer, he would not allow for it, for that, according to him, would defile the sanctity of the wife. Now, to me, this reeks of a sense of entitlement and worships the protocol of patriarchy, which, again, was quite the norm in Bollywood back then. So that this scene and the song allowed for Vijayanti Mala's character to express her rebellion is itself nothing short of a wonder, really. And that very rebellion, coupled with some nasty tongue lashing for the husband, is incorporated in the lyrics of the song as well. The first few lines 
are all about Radha lamenting that she has landed herself an old man as a husband. This forms the refrain as well. After belting out that, and feeling rather pleased with herself, she decides to change into something even more sexier. So she does away with the sash, puts on a purple blouse of sorts, and tops it all with a purple lampshade. Clearly, her wanting freedom and a say in things takes over whatever ancient version of decency she had harboured until then. And with all that fueling her antics, she begins to belt out the first verse, which went something like this. Which means, everyone went to the park, so my old man followed suit. Everyone brought back a flower, but my old man brought back a cauliflower. Good lord, I'm now pretty infamous now that I've landed this old man. For the next verse, she puts together an ensemble of feathers and prances around like a peacock, which is what the verse is all about, more or less. Which means, I'm a pretty little doll with a vivacious walk, and he has a head with a lot of grey hair. God alone knows what will happen now that I've landed this old man. By now, Sundar is a bit irritated with the taunts that Radha keeps throwing at him. And as is the case with a typical Bollywood movie, he walks out of the room. Radha then decides to drape herself from head to toe in what looks like a sari and sing this. Which means, this old man of mine brought me to a land of fairies. And when I lifted my veil, good lord, was he angry or what? Really, I've shot myself in the foot now that I've married this old man. As she sings it, she unwraps that cloth she has draped herself in to reveal that she still has a slacks on and a black blouse this time round, much to the chagrin of her man Sundar. What's more, she hops onto a table, dances to the tune of the last verse and the refrain, and then shoots a rather defiant look at Sundar. Well, as for Sundar, he is rather aroused by all that butt wriggling and leg kicking that Radha indulges in. And so, he swings her over his shoulder and takes her to bed moments after she has sung the last verse. Of course, he takes her to bed to have sex with her. That's not shown, of course, but it's implied by the subsequent shot of a figurine of a child. Please remember, we're talking about a Bollywood movie from the 60s. And at that time, 
babies were almost always considered to be the product of sex. There couldn't be any other. The songs sung by Lata Mangeshkar, who was the reigning doyen of female playback singing in the 60s. She made a debut with the song Aayega Aniwala, which means the one who has to come will come, from the 1949 Bollywood film Mehal, which means palace, and thereafter she speedily climbed to a position in which she ended up singing for virtually every film actress in Bollywood. right up until the 21st century Lata initially refused to sing this number she you see was a rather conservative woman who was satisfied singing songs of undying love unending sadness and abject regret this what raj kapoor expected her to sing to her was the definition of absolute sin In her world no woman was supposed to take such a didactic stand against her husband forget dancing ronchali in front of her husband and she was not about to encourage that at all more importantly though it would have gone against the image that her fans had of her and also against the prevailing sentiment about marriages and women in the 60s it was tantamount to committing professional suicide or so she may have thought at the time however raj kapoor wouldn't want anyone else to sing the song either and so he persistently coaxed her to reconsider which she did apparently she agreed to sing the song but refused to watch its picturization now what i do know is that this was not the first and the last time lata mangeshkar sang such a number Later on she went on to sing Merita Colombo ki Amrita from Colombo in the 1985 film Ek Daku Sheher Mein which means a decorous in the city and then again she went on to sing which means your names on my lips in the 1994 film ye dil lagi which roughly translates to this feeling or this pining of the heart both the numbers were very very raunchy and they left practically nothing to the imagination and these are just two from the list of suggestive numbers she has indulged in Now around the time Sangam was being shot and this is no speculation really Raj Kapoor did have an affair with Vijayanti Mala on the sets of that movie Years later after Raj Kapoor died Vijayanti Mala denied the whole thing and said it was Raj Kapoor who manufactured rumors about the affair for the sake of publicity However Raj Kapoor's son Rishi Kapoor in his autobiography Kulam Kulla Rishi Kapoor uncensored says that that certainly did happen according to Rishi his mother Krishna Raj Kapoor was pretty incensed when she got to know about the affair she packed her bags 
walked out of the house with the children and began staying in Natraj Hotel, Bombay. From there, they moved to an apartment in Chitrakut, a residential complex that still exists at Altamount Road, Mumbai, and they stayed there for two whole months. The fracas took quite a while to subside, and it subsided only when Raj Kapoor ended his dalliance with Vijayanti Mala. It goes without saying then, and yet I have to say it, that this song and its movie did bring out the sassiest best, and in some cases the rebellious best, in the ones involved, directly and indirectly, in their making. So, do I recommend the song at all? Of course I do. The song has a whole lot of sass. It hasn't lost its charm in the 21st century and is still pretty topical, given that women still have to deal with husbands who think the way Raj Kapoor's character did in Sangam. Well, that's all I have for you in this episode of You Call That A Song. You can follow us on Instagram at you call that a song. That's you call that a song. All one word, no spaces in between. On Twitter, we are at call that a song. That's call that a song. Again, all one word, no spaces in between. Okay then, it's time to say goodbye. Do join us again next time in yet another episode of You Call That A Song, in which we'll discuss another delightful little ditty straight out of Bollywood. Until then, this is your host, Garfield D'Souza, a.k.a. Gary, saying goodbye, God bless, and stay safe. Reviewing and critiquing songs, mostly of the Bollywood genre, is the sole intention of this podcast. Consequently, the sound clips used in this podcast series merely illustrate aspects and points that form part of the critique and review of the songs from which those sound clips have been taken. These songs may be part of films, music videos, or music albums. The copyrights of a song are the sole and exclusive property of either all or one or more of five possible entities associated with the production of the song. These five entities are the music composers, the lyricists, the music companies, the singers, and the producers.